It's a delight to be with you. Obviously, I'm not Pablo. <laughs> and you'll have to put up with a different accent from me. But uh, I've, I, I so love your church. Through the years, been close friends to Greg, uh, to Gib for 15 or 20 years now. And from the beginning of the plant of this church, you had a kingdom of God missional mindset to not just make this the place where you rested, but it's the place where you energize to go. And you've been working with missions and church plants. And so this morning, I want us to take a look at the fuel, the power of our churches, not just church plants, but here. And it's faith, hope, and love. In particular, we're going to be focusing on faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Um, I, I grew up in a church context where I think, at least from my perspective, that's really the only perspective I can give, um, I thought faith was just kind of fire insurance for hell. I didn't realize growing up that faith had elements to it that provided the power, the, the endurance, the strength to continue on in the Christian journey. I know it sounds probably strange, but I viewed faith much more like a light switch, as if it went off and on, and if you did, had it, you had it. If you didn't, you didn't. But at this stage of my life, uh, I see faith much more like the dimming lights that you have in this sanctuary, that at certain stages of your life, they seem to be shining bright, and you feel like you're on top of the world, and God answers every prayer, and everything's going smoothly, and then you hit a wall, and it seems to get pretty dark. And it doesn't seem like there's a lot of light, although for some reason you keep walking in a direction that feels like there's light down there. That's faith. And that faith is the component that drives not only this church, but your church plants and your service to them and their work. And so what I want us to do this morning is take a look at the notion of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read Hebrews chapter 11 starting with verse 1. We'll read verses 1 through 16, and then we'll uh, take some time to look through what Hebrews 11 is teaching us. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. 
By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Yet these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Let's pray. Father, we come to you at this time to ask you specifically to open our hearts and our minds to the truth of your word. We know, Father, that our minds are often so consumed with all the events of the day, with all the plans, with all the things we have going on, and it is often very difficult to make that shift to focus on the things we don't see, the things we hope for. And yet this morning, we would ask that your spirit would come and quicken faith in us to see the things you would have us to see and to respond to them appropriately. We ask this through Christ's name. Amen. The Bible describes the life of faith as a journey. You see it here in Hebrews 11. The Bible briefly mentions, the writer of Hebrews briefly mentions several key people. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham. You go on past what we read, you get to Moses, you get to a host of other people. And the the life of these people is described as a journey. And their life of faith is described as a journey. It's not a journey that's a steady, long, straight highway. Uh, I grew up in North Georgia, not far from the Blue Ridge Mountains. The journey of faith is like the road in the Blue Ridge Mountains. It winds and turns, and you're on the edge of the mountain at times, and then you circle back around to something that feels a bit more steady. It's no wonder that in the history of Western literature, this motif of a journey is a predominant theme. The early stages of the origins of our literature go back to Homer in the Iliad and the Odyssey that both describe a journey. And in fact, some of the books that we value most in our Christian tradition describe faith this way. One example of this is John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. So when we get to Hebrews 11 and talk about faith and look at this aspect of faith, I want you to see it as this growing, dynamic seed that was planted at some point, probably long ago, if you believed many years ago when you were a child. If you haven't, then the open invitation for you is to join in on this drama and trust. But if you have, you can look back over your life and see a lot of different changes. 
One of my favorite quotes comes from Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer who lived in the 1500s and ministered during that time. And he describes faith like this. He describes the life of faith by saying, This life, therefore, is not righteousness, but growth in righteousness. It's not health, but it's healing. It's not being, but becoming. Not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing toward it. The process is not yet finished, but it is going on. This is not the end, but it is the road. All that does not yet gleam in glory, but all is being purified. I find this immensely helpful because there are times in my journey of faith where I think we're gleaming in glory right now. Everything's good. But then in a few days, I realized, no, 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 that was premature. We're not yet, we're being purified. We're, we're on this road. And this road has twists and turns. In fact, it was Martin Luther that helped me out of that uh, early experience in the church where I saw faith as a very narrow thing. It was Luther who described all of the Christian life, not just as a life of faith, but also all a life of repentance, which is just the opposite side of faith. And so when we come to Hebrews 11, we're looking at this aspect of faith and what it's doing, how it gives us the strength and the power to trust what God's doing at work in our life, in the church, in other church plants. Faith is very dynamic, moving, changing, and growing. Well, I want to start with that first verse to provide us a clarity on what faith is. Because I remember growing up reading this verse, and of course I read it in the old King James, and I thought, I don't know what that means. What in the world does it mean when it's talking about faith being the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen? What, why is he using those words? So what I want to do at first is unpack this, this one verse, and then secondly, I want you to see it through the example of some of the people here in Hebrews 11 and how it works, the mechanics of faith and what's happening in your life. And then I want to end by going to Acts 17 and show you a concrete example of this in a life of a church plant in the, in the city of Thessalonica. So, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Let's start with, we could set those two, that verse up parallel, right? Faith is what? Two things. The assurance of things hoped for and then the conviction of things not seen. Well, you see at the very end of both of those phrases that you have things hoped for and things not seen. So what's he talking about when he describes, that when he's saying those two things? Well, the short answer is he's talking about the invisible world we don't see. The world described in the Lord's Prayer when we say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, the visible realm, as it is in heaven, not up there somewhere, but the invisible realm all around us. I personally think that's why John in the book of Revelation describes the second coming as splitting the sky. I think that that invisible realm opens up and we see it for the first time with our eyes of faith. And so the things hoped for and the things not seen is what the book of Hebrews describes as heaven. It's this world that we're constantly in contact with but can't see. 
It's the things that Paul describes in his other epistles that your faith is tapping into. So the things not seen and the things hoped for is that heavenly invisible realm where Jesus sits on the throne and rules and reigns. And everything works the way it's supposed to work. But down here, or here, in this visible realm, things don't work the way they're supposed to work most times. And thus we have faith. So, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Now, as you know, uh, the, the, the Bible, as it's translated, there are several ways you could translate these two words. The word assurance and the word conviction are two different words. And in other parts of Hebrews, they have some different meanings. And although I could say it provides you assurance and conviction, and I do think that's true, I don't think what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that. If we take the word assurance, and if I were to look in other passages and, and show you just in Hebrews, we could go to Hebrews 1 and 3 and show you that assurance has a different meaning that has more of a meaning uh, that... Hebrews translates it as substance in another place when it talks about Jesus. When it describes Jesus as the substance of God. That word in other passages of Scripture is translated as reality. That's the word that I think gets closer to what the writer of Hebrews is talking about here. So instead of assurance, faith is the reality of the things you don't see. In other words, faith is telling you something about a world you don't see. Just like Jesus is the reality of God, who we don't see, who came into this world for us. So I would say one of the meanings of assurance is the reality of things hoped for. Now let me tell you the other one, and then let me tie it together. Because when I tie it together, I think it'll make a lot of sense in Hebrews 11. The conviction of things not seen. Conviction's a decent word, but I think a better translation, if we were to tie it into Hebrews, is a witness. That faith is witnessing to something. Yeah, you have a conviction inside you about your faith, but that conviction is coming out and witnessing to something. And the writer of Hebrews 11 is all about trying to say these people in Hebrews 11 are witnessing about something. And it's the same way you're supposed to live your life. And so if you allow me to just adjust those two words a little bit to say now faith is the reality of things hoped for, which we are heaven, and the witness of things not seen, I would tie it together and say faith is witnessing to the reality of heaven. That's what the writer of Hebrews 11.1 is saying, I think. When you have faith, you're witnessing to another reality. One of the most important um, awarenesses I had in my early uh, journey as a Christian was that God actually forgave me for all my sins. Like the first 10 years of my life in the church, I thought I was always going back and asking for forgiveness for sins over and over and over again. And I never really got forgiven. And then I'd end up at a youth retreat. And I, I remember uh, a preacher <laughs> telling a story years ago that, you know, he was at one of those youth retreats and he got so serious of Jesus when they said to Throw, give your time to Jesus and everything. He just pulled off his watch and threw it in the fire. I'm going to give it all to Jesus, whatever I have. And so each time I did this, I thought, well, maybe I got it now. And then I thought, no, really, I didn't until I understood what Paul talks about with justification. That I am fully forgiven 
not part of my sins, but the whole. And that old song, It Is Well With My Soul, that says, He bore not some of them on the cross, but all my sins on the cross, and I bear them no more. The realization of that forgiveness is a faith moment that is witnessing to the reality of heaven because there's where you're forgiven fully. It's in that world, and that permeates this world as you live it out. And so the writer of Hebrews 11 is saying, your faith is connecting you to the reality of that world. And the power you have to live in this world comes from there. Why do you think Pablo's in Miami? It's because of faith. It's the power of faith from another world to take that sacrifice. Why do people leave this church and go on the mission field or go plant another church somewhere else when they have such a wonderful environment here with friends and everybody that they spent 10, 15 years cultivating? It's because of faith. It's because they have a different vision from a reality that you can't see. Nobody who goes and plants a church can pull that reality fully from heaven and get it across to people. They'll show PowerPoint slides, we'll talk about it, we'll say these things, but inside you, if you have faith, there's a driving force that is willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to pull this off because you believe in something bigger that you may not see in your lifetime. That's what faith is. So faith is a witness to the reality of heaven. Now watch how this unfolds in Hebrews 11. So let's just pull a few examples from Hebrews 11. Um, Abel, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. Now God gave him instructions. Cain didn't follow them. Abel did. And that was an act of faith. Did he have any other precedent for that other than the God of heaven, the invisible world, saying this is how we're going to do this? Not that we know of. And so Cain didn't live by faith. He chose to do what he thought was better, which is the essence of pride, the opposite of faith. And so Abel was a witness to the reality of the heavenly world permeating this world. By faith, Enoch was taken so that he should not see death. Enoch is another example of a life by faith that in his life you have this foreshadowing of what we hope for in the resurrection. His faith is a witness to another world, another reality. I love that passage in verse 6 where the writer of Hebrews says, without faith, without this kind of faith that witnesses to that reality, it is impossible to please God. For who... Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he's there. He exists. You're still pursuing him and that he will reward those who seek him. That it will not be in vain. By faith, Noah, verse 7, being warned by God concerning events, what? Yet unseen. It's that invisible prophetic world God's telling him is coming and in reverent fear constructed an ark. By faith, he tapped into that invisible reality. Now, by the time we get to verse 8 is Abraham, which is one of the most beautiful, beautiful stories of faith in the Old Testament. It becomes the essence of Paul's writing in both uh, Romans and Galatians for the person of faith. 
And in, in fact, Abraham was also critical to me, realizing when I, when I was growing up, I didn't think the Old Testament saints had faith. I thought they lived by the law. You just obey. That's what you do. And then faith came later. And then I read Paul in Romans and thought, oh, faith comes from Abraham. Faith is through the whole Old Testament. And so verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place where he was to receive an inheritance. So when Abraham, think about this. On Abraham's journey, he's called to go out to receive a place as an inheritance, and he takes off by faith. He leaves behind his family, his future, his, his uh, community, a host of things he leaves behind. Why? Does he have anything of substance in this world he can point to and say, this is why I'm doing it? I'm going there to that plot of land in the Middle East to make a lot of money. It's a business deal. I'm going to expand the herd. He's not doing any of that, although some of that happens. He has no idea what's to come except by faith. He has a vision from God that he's going out there. He went, verse, now here's where the fascinating twist comes. By faith, he went to, the, to live in the land of promise. So he's in the land that was promised him, but he's living as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, who are heirs with him of the same promise. They're in the place God promised, and they're living like sojourners in tents. The promise hasn't fully been fulfilled. Why? Verse 10 says, because he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham was never finally interested in a plot of land in the Middle East. If anyone thinks Abraham has any desire to land back in that plot of land in the Middle East after he's been living wherever he's at right now in that invisible world, we've lost what the Bible's telling us. God was giving him a bigger, better city. A city that he couldn't see, but that promised land was a witness to that reality. It's the same thing with church planning, isn't it? You're barely making it. You're struggling to pay the bills, to get seats, to get Bibles, to have projection equipment, to do whatever it is that you have here that goes very smoothly most times. And why? Because they believe in a different reality than the one they're living in right then. They believe that God wants more for his people, for the city of Miami, for the city of Memphis, for fill in the blanks. And so by faith, we move towards those areas where God needs to be known. Now, look at verse 13. Again, this is emphasizing that your faith is witnessing to this reality. These all died in faith, not having received the promise. Where in the world can you ever sell anything that says you're going to die in faith and you're not going to receive the promise? Would you make an investment like that in a business? No, but you've made an investment in this kingdom because it goes beyond this life. There's not a single person sitting here with any age on them that believes that this place is permanent. And some of you are on the journey much further down the road and know that it's not. And at that stage, this is the kind of faith you need. Because at that stage, your faith witnesses to something beyond what you experience in this place. 
Have you ever been around some people who really have tapped into that realm? <laughs> and it's almost like they're, they're doing... I've talked to some people who have sacrificed a lot and doing amazing things, but it's like this world doesn't have a pull on them. And that's what the writer of Hebrews 11 is talking about. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, that faith witnessing to that reality that you can't see, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth, for people who speak this way make it clear they're seeking a homeland, a different place. If they had been thinking of the land by which they had gone out of, what we've left behind, you would have the opportunity to turn around and go back, which is why your faith has to keep moving forward in the direction God is taking you. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But that's not how they live, and that's not how you live. But as it is, they desire a better country that is, what? A heavenly one. An invisible one you can't see right now. Therefore, because that's the way that faith works in you, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. That's the picture of faith that we have. And it is the underlying drive of why people leave churches and go plant churches, why they go to foreign countries on the mission field, why they make sacrifices, because they believe this is not the final story here, that there's a bigger story at play. And so let me show you, let me conclude with a very concrete example of this in Acts 17. I've spent some time in First and Second Thessalonians and I was fascinated by how this church started because Paul starts this church and then eventually writes back to it. So this Acts 17 passage is the background for First and Second Thessalonians, the letters that Paul writes to them. Now notice what happens. Acts 17 verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. So Paul went in, as was his custom, as in his mission work, going into the synagogue. And on three consecutive Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving it's necessary for Christ to suffer and then rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus I proclaim to you is the Christ. There's the opening gospel presentation, if you will. He's hoping that the synagogue listens and moves in that direction, but that's normally not what happens in Acts. Normally in Acts, he gets kicked out. Verse 4. Some of them were persuaded to join Paul and Silas, as did a many, a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But, verse 5, the Jews were jealous. And taking, the, the ESV says, taking some wicked men of the rabble. These are the people on the sides of the street that they could pay a little money to and get them to cause a problem. So they pull them aside and they uh, take them, formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, meaning Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities. So this is what happens when you go plant a church. You start preaching, and then they, they go looking for you, and they drag your, the person who's house, housing you 
before the city authorities. And so, notice what they say. I love this. They bring them before the city authorities shouting, these men have turned the world upside down and they have come here also. Jason received them and they are acting against the decrees of Caesar saying there is another king, Jesus. Yes, all that's true because their faith is witnessing to that other reality. They have come in proclaiming a different way of life, a different type of life if you trust in Jesus. And this is the kind of person, according to this verse, verse 6, these are the kind of people who turn the world upside down. You want to turn the world upside down? Tap into a faith that sees that world, that invisible world, the kingdom of God that we're trying to draw other men and women and boys and girls and everyone in to see. Because God is a God who fulfills his promises. He's a God who will see you through whatever it is you face. And you can trust him that no matter what that is, whether you're here serving Living Hope in this area or by your service and faith here or helping in other areas or you're wrestling with whether you help in a bigger way and leave this church. I know in a church this size and the way you guys emphasize it, there's people sitting here today who are probably struggling with, should I leave this place? If you have a faith that has tapped into that other world, you have the power and the endurance and the stability to do it because you can trust that your God will be with you no matter what you face. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had to look at your word, to reflect on Hebrews 11 and the life of faith. And first of all, Father, we pray this morning for anyone who's sitting here who doesn't feel like they've actually believed that there may be an awareness of your glory and your greatness, that you would quicken their faith and open their hearts and their eyes. Father, we also pray for all those who are believers, the vast majority of people who are sitting here who still need their faith encouraged, strengthened, to endure whatever it is they're facing at whatever phase of life they're at. We would pray that you would strengthen them so that they might continue to trust and follow. For those who are wrestling with what to do next and where to go if that involves church planning or service in some way. We pray that your spirit would quicken their hearts and give clarity to this vision. And Lord, for those who are out, who have left this church or, or who have partnered with this church in various ministries and capacities, we know how discouraging it can be to be in those times and we pray that you would strengthen their faith so that they might have a fresh vision of this world that they serve, a world that is much more stable than this world, much more loving and joyful. And as we all journey in our life, we pray that you will keep us focused on what really matters upon you and the life you've called us to. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.